Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day. Do what you can with all you have, wherever you are. American President Theodore Roosevelt. That quote will take us into the second half of the interview with our CODA interpreter, Bruce Cameron, from Scotland. I hope you stay all the way to the end, where I will take some insightful points out of this discussion and broaden our own perspective on the interpreting profession through the eyes of a CODA. So let's jump right in. So in order to work as an interpreter, you talked about your education and four-year program and so forth. Yeah. But you were talking also about uh, levels, certified level yes. or credited level, something like that. What is that process to go from not an interpreter to working as an interpreter? So there's a few ways to do that process here in the UK, or especially in Scotland. In Scotland, we have um, a program at Heriot, what university? In Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they do a four-year program from from nothing to qualified, uh, registered, what we call RSLI, so a registered sign language interpreter. So you, that's a four-year program that they have. That's one way. So you would turn up, you know, you would apply, you get into university, um, you do your four years and you come out and you then register with one of the the governing bodies or, no, it's not a governing body, what is it? The National Register. So the one I'm with is NRCPD. So it's the National Register of Communication Professionals of Deaf and Deaf Blind. So you then apply to register with them. You, you submit your evidence and then you, then you get accepted. So so the processes are you do your four-year course or you do what they call here is a um, national vocational qualification. And th- there are different levels within that. So you can do a level one, which is like an introduction to sign language, and that's usually ten or twelve week course, an hour or night. You know, you do that. So yeah. it's about twelve hours, and then once you've done that, you then do level two, which is longer, and then you do level three, which is over two years usually, right? And then they've changed it. Obviously, changed a few years ago. You used to be able to do level four, but now level four is maps at a different level on the qualification university base. So it's it's vocational qualifications so it's a different style of learning however it maps differently from university so level six maps into the postgraduate university level so, so in other words you're talking about two different paths one yeah. with the university level and one with these courses that you take over different time yes and pass them as as you pass them you go to the next level yes if you want to of course exactly and then you have a structure built in to show how these two streams are equal yes, at, absolutely. at different levels. Yes. Okay, I see. So, so okay. Once, once you get to level six, you then have, once you've passed that, you then do level six interpreting, which is a add-on basically focusing on interpreting. Right. And that is with the vocational. Yes. From, from mm-hmm. zero to qualified, that method, you're probably mm-hmm. about seven or eight years. Wow. Or university, you're there for four years full time. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other side is you take it. You're your working yes, exactly. at the same time. Yeah. yeah, you've stretched it out. 
So the vocational, are you interpreting it all yet no. during this? No. no. Okay. So you no. can't interpret until you've finished. Okay. Exactly. And the same with the university, I guess. Yes. I'm, I'm assuming so. I, I think, I think from, if anybody's listening to this and I'm wrong, please. He's letting me know. Oh, but, don't worry. They'll tell me. Yeah. <laughs> but from what I remember is once mm-hmm. you finish level six, part one, you could become a trainee. So you could register okay. as a trainee sign language interpreter. So when you register, there are different levels for yes, what yes. you register as. Yes. Okay. As a trainee, you can't do legal work. You can't do mental health assessments. You can't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's, there's caveats of what you can and can't do. Right. And I think they recommend you, you become a trainee for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. you, you can work for two years doing training, and then once you've done that and you've got your level six, you become registered and then you're opened up. During the level six training, yes. you can become a trainee during that time. I see. So it kind of overlaps the time until you can start working. That's, that's nice. Yes. They're at the end anyway. But just mm-hmm. to confuse things a little bit more, if I don't. Yeah, go right ahead. Wait, that's wait. what we're here for. <laughs> so it, it, there is actually one levels one, two, three, four, five, six. Right. Levels four okay. and five have been removed. There's, there, there are, they don't exist anymore because they, they map differently. So, so you do level three and okay. it's, a, it's a big jump between level three and level six. It'd be equivalent of, I don't know, I'm thinking of doing, um, like a high school course and getting your qualification at high school, right? And then, right. and then very next year doing your, your masters. It's not that big a jump, but it's that, that kind of feeling. But at the end of level three, you can apply to be what is known as a CSW, which is a communication support worker. On that level, you can do interpreting for students at college. Yes, yes. Okay. That, that, face okay, that's that's just, little, little... that that face that you just made, it does get worse than okay. that. And you can, you okay. can choose to put this in or not. Right? But to become a teacher of the deaf, you'll uh-huh. need to have level one or two, I think it is. As a seven-year-old, mm-hmm. profoundly deaf boy or girl, is more mm-hmm. fluent than their teacher. I think that's common throughout the world. I'm sure everyone yeah. is listening now is nodding and, and or shaking their head yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So if, if you got rid of four and five, you still call it one, two, three and six. six yeah. Okay. That's just not confusing from, no, for anyone so you, on the you, outside. You used to do one, two, three, four, four interpreting. But I think I see. levels four and four interpreting weren't at a high enough standard. Mm-hmm. So they've, they made it. It was a higher standard. Is it because maybe at six they're adding not only the interpreting, but they're also working on the languages that you the theory, would have yeah, been yes. doing in four, five, and theory? I get that. And then yeah. you had the the route that I went down, which was eighteen months of eighteen mm-hmm. weekends plus work experience. Yeah. And for me, that if I'm being honest, I think if if I had to go to university to do it, I probably wouldn't have stuck it out. Yeah, I wouldn't have stuck yeah. it out. I don't think as as yeah, the type of person sense. I am. But the work based being that immersed in yeah, if there was a deaf world, if there was like a, a holiday vacation place that you could go to, that's yeah. that was kind of yeah. that experience. You turn up and mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. you were speaking to deaf people. Every day. Do you think that the opinion of the masses is that one way is better than the other? Uh, this course is no longer happening. The eighteen month one. No, they only do the others. Is there a reason for that or? I think it was to do with funding. I think it was to do because that was a pilot scheme which was funded by the Scottish government. And okay, it, it, that makes sense. It, it ran its course and that was it. Now, mm. it worked for me. I'm 100% sure. I, in fact, I know. I know that there are, there are people out there and maybe people listening saying it wasn't the right thing. 
it wasn't right. Yeah. I, I I get it. I understand because there was there was a lot of kind of politics involved as well at the time. But I don't think there was any kind of replacement for for experience of of actually being involved and and picking up those those small little details that you, you don't yeah. get from it. Of course, yeah. Everybody learns differently. The way that I did it was a hundred percent suitable for me. It worked for me. And there's people going through university course just now, and that is absolutely right for them. And the people who don't do university, who maybe want, like for example, my sister is currently doing the vocational route. She doesn't want to do the university part. She's working, and that's Mm -hmm. 100% right for her. So there's not a wrong way, and there's not a right way. It's just whatever Mm -hmm. suits you as a person. Yeah, I see that. You have two different ways mainly for the different types of people and and for different stages in the, in your life. Absolutely. The older people don't really have time to go back to school sometimes if they have a family, etc. Yeah, it makes sense. In the US, I know there's a lot of discussion about trying to get uh, the academic interpreter, those going through university, connected again to the deaf community in a deeper way, uh, just like we were through 70 60 years ago, when it was <laughs> <laughs> before university ties, you might say. And it's really hard because student life, it's really hard to have that full immersive mm. feeling in the language. And I think that's that's probably a struggle for any country that has universities. Heritage, what university who do their four-year program? They're absolutely fantastic in, in what they do and the, the efforts they mm-hmm. make for the experience of their students to mix in with the deaf community and, and they have yeah. they go and shadow and watch and be involved and you know sure. help with different bits and pieces in the background and stuff yeah so yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, like I say, community service thing absolutely. community yeah. Uh, a lot of places in the U.S. I know are doing trying to do that same thing and I think that's a good transition from quote professional academic interpreter back to the roots of interpreting Let me turn to interpreting itself. Oh. Oh. Let me uh, let me ask you not sensitive questions, but <laughs> thoughtful, thoughtful questions. Oh, how would you describe not necessarily a specific uh, interpreting situation? How would you describe a good interpreting situation? For me, the the, the best interpreting situation is is one where everything just seems natural and. Normal. It's, it, when I say normal, I mean just there's there's no effort. There's no effort uh, in. There's no friction. There's no. It's just almost like you 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 go into somewhere and the fact that we are there as an interpreter. That yeah. you, see this this is what it comes into the the interpreter is invisible. No, we're not. You know we, we are there, and it's yeah. it's how do you make that normal? So for me, I go into a venue or whatever, and. I do check the venue and, and is it very formal? Is it relaxed? And I'll adjust myself to the environment, not to become invisible, but to become part of the environment and become that, that conduit. But it's, it's, it's difficult. It's uh, as you were describing that for those listening, you were kind of touching your body and kind of moving your body. So for me, that conveyed to me that you were not only changing, you know, say your clothing, but your body language, your body posture, and how you interacted with the environment and the people. Yeah. That you're saying that comfort feeling, not just for you, but everyone else to make sure that they know you're a part of what's happening. Yeah. Is that and, what and you not, meant? Yes. Yes. And not to be prescriptive and not to say these are the rules because in real life, there are 
cultural norms. There are there are normal sure. rules, but because I'm there interpreting, because mm-hmm. there's a difference there, the rules shouldn't change. They shouldn't say right. And and I have seen this happen. Online has changed us a bit of this, but sure. I don't tell people to talk one at a time. I because I feel it loses any spontaneity, um, any kind of spontaneity. spontaneity uh-huh. You said the word better than I did. But <laughs> any of that that goes in any of the kind of the thoughts that somebody might come up and go, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. that, to have to set your hand up. I personally, I don't, yes. I don't impose that on any of the meetings I go to. And what yeah. I do is I will convey that I will point and if it's half sentences, and I'll let the deaf person then say, oh, can you repeat that? And I'll let them interject sure. if they want to. Sure. I just feel that I, I'm not going to impose rules okay. that don't exist in this culture's world. For me, I feel that works. Do you feel like you started thinking that way after you took the course and became an interpreter? Or do you think you felt that way all your life growing up as Coda? Interestingly, I, I, I would say I felt that way all my life. However, I was guilty not anymore, but I was guilty as a child, mm-hmm. a child of 10-year-old being at the doctor's and the, the doctor had his scalpel out, you know, this to, to cut. It was something out of my mum's thumb. So the doctor started injecting my mum with, uh, what's the... the? Like the numbing agent? Yes, the numbing agent. Anesthetic, there you go. So, and then that was fine. Then he started uh-huh. cutting with a knife. And mum was saying to me, oh, that's sore, that's sore. As a 19-year-old boy, I'm like, no, 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 no the doctor knows what's best. No, oh. no, no. So, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, I'm not saying Mom's tell him, tell him that it's sore. Like, no, he's a doctor. He, he's, I'm not telling the doctor that he's doing something wrong. Yeah. Obviously, now that was different. I would, you know, absolutely. Sure, sure. But, yeah, but yeah I, I would say that I've always been, always, always trying to have this natural, how people are, because if I miss something, I miss something as a hearing person. The, the, the person next to me has missed that mm-hmm. as well. Yes, exactly. And then, because if you do it one at a time, it all becomes unnatural, stilted, right. and it, that sure. flow, that natural energy seems to go. It's, no, it's different online. Exactly. It's, it's a different, like you said, it's a different cultural tech norm. And so everyone's trying to adhere to that. In fact, I think that's becoming kind of a worldwide thing. Yes. That's one norm that is kind of global. Whereas... Whenever you're in the situation live, it feels natural to go with the norm of that but place. I, I just yeah. know how, like, that's just me, though. That's, that's sure, just sure. me. And th- there are interpreters who, if I'm co-working with, will say that, can we all just speak at once? And I find it difficult. In you fact, mean one, one at a time? Yeah, one at a time, yes. Yeah, it's not at once. No. Yeah, no, all <laughs> at the same time, please. I want just to make imagine, the, the, for, for me, I, I, well, I was going to say I find it difficult. I don't, I find it it's impossible for me to say to my coworker, no, yeah. I'm very respectful. I might be thinking, oh, I wouldn't do that way. But however, this is what mm-hmm. we're working with because if I'm co-working with somebody, my ultimate goal here is to make my coworker as relaxed as possible. Yeah. You know, I know, I know my, my level, my skills and I know where I am with my comfort. If it's a new coworker, I don't know, but I just want them to be as comfortable as possible. So, so whatever works yeah. for them, yeah. I'll work with. Well, so in other words, you're, you're flexible enough to be flexible for them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. To match their needs. Yeah, that, exactly. That's how it's, it's kind of gone for online as well is, is however my coworker wants to work online, mm-hmm. we'll sort it out for them. I think you've answered this question already, but let's try to maybe condense it in another way. What is your philosophy or your approach when you have an ethical or moral decision to make when you're interpreting? Oh, that's a, that's a that's a great question. 
I just want to do what's right. I just want to do what I feel is right and what mm-hmm. I would do if I was in that deaf person's shoes. If, if it was just me there and this was the situation, what would I do? Obviously, you know, the least harm, but there's been a couple of instances recently when something's come up and I've done something that I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember having a conversation afterwards with Mako and they commented and said that what you did there was actually not what I would have done, but what you did was actually the right thing. And I think it was a meeting where there was a lot of anger in the room. And I don't know if I downplayed the anger. I, I put across the words, but I voiced it over in a way that I didn't have to shout because visually you could see it. You know, the deaf person was furious and it was obvious. Everybody could see it. But I think the way that I put it across with a slight, a slight touch of anger, but it was not played down, but the, the, the choice of words, it got the result. It got, it got what the deaf person wanted and it got what the hearing people well, it wasn't a compromise, but it was, it was, it was difficult. It's difficult to explain because I just felt that at that point, if I go in all guns blazing, absolutely furious to this, this outcome's not going to work. So culturally, there's a difference between hearing and deaf, but I didn't have to do the shouting because everybody could see. And the way that I put it across the language I chose, maybe even the tone of, right. you know, okay. being, being assertive rather than being furious. Yeah, balance. Yeah. And things got sorted. And it was interesting because my coworker said, I-, I found it interesting how you seemed to play it down, but you got the point across. You got the result the deaf person was, was looking for. And everybody seemed to be happy at the end of it. Obviously, as happy yeah. as could be. However, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have mimicked, been more. And mm-hmm. he says, but that was really interesting to see that just how you how you did it. So th- yeah. there are there yeah. are ethical decisions that you make and you have to make sure. them on the snap. Yeah. you're never going to get them right all the time. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Never. I don't worry about it. I don't worry about them anymore. Yeah. 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 I think as a, as a, as a new interpreter, you, you think, oh, what if I do this wrong? What do, if, if you think to yourself, what is the worst that can happen? You know, And if the worst yeah. that can happen isn't that bad, then yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's some good advice for those who are wanting to become an interpreter or who are on the step of the next level between three and six. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, that's a big step. You need, you need to take steps. Yes. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. If you have any ideas for the podcast, contact me at interpretersworkshop.com. For now, let's go back. Okay. Let me now throw at you some fast and furious words. Oh, no. And you just quickly give me an association with that word. So the first thing you think of when I ask you this word or small phrase. Okay. <laughs> <All> right, <go laughs> <on>. <laughs> okay. So a fun time. Yeah, that's just that's a that's a spending time with the kids. Out and about with the kids. Absolutely just, you know, spending time with the kids. Yeah. Okay. Inspiration. Am I allowed to see you? Of course. <laughs> you can do this part. No, I think, I think, you yeah, know, it's people like yourself, actually, people who, who I, I suppose, look up to, but people who, um, don't, don't take themselves too seriously. You know, and who I've got this kind of natural, there's, yeah, we can all be formal. We can all be who we are, but having that kind of natural ability just to, to blend and have a bit of fun and, and that type of person is who, who uh, inspires me. Say right back at you. Ah, yes. All right. Next, comfort food. Ooh, 
um, lockdown's been harsh. So comfort food. There's a bakery that run, that's around the corner from us, and they've got these haggis, potato, and turnip pies. They're absolutely gorgeous. Now, I've not seen them for a while, but they're a small, I would say, what size is that? Uh, six inch, maybe? I don't have a diameter. Yeah, six inch diameter. And it's uh, the bottom layer's haggis. Then it's got mashed turnip and then mashed, mashed potato on top. And that, for me, is like, I mean, it's simple. It's about £1.50. Oh, wow. And, oh, lovely. Okay, next. Confusing. Some technology. Not all technology, but there's some technology that really confuses me, and it's to do with audio. Video video technology is absolutely fine. I've got no issues with that at all, but rerouting and, and plugging in cables for audio to go, it confuses me. So yeah, so it's audio technology confuses me. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Ethics. Uh, like I said before, just doing the right thing. Education. Ooh. Um, my, my first thought in my head was university. Even though I didn't go, and and I think, and I think, I think it's probably been influenced by a conversation I had with somebody yesterday who um, I was speaking to, who's doing the fourth year computer sciences degree, and the person was the only female in the whole group of twenty people. So my my, my question, I, I had a challenge. I mean, um, my question was because I've got two girls, and the, the mm-hmm. girls are. Obviously, different in their likes. Now, um, sure. Abigail is so into computers, and I could see a, a pathway into to STEM, which is the science, technology, engineering, as or as the, the Americans say, math. So we would say maths, but you know, we, we add the yeah. S on the end. But yeah, because there's so many different. <laughs> anyway, right. go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I, 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 for for me, it's her route into the job was she left school at 18, straight into work which was this work-university-blended placement. So she's now coming to the end of her fourth year. She's had four years of work. And when she graduates, she's she had four years of paid employment, and she'll just carry on working. Which And, and I, I, I was speaking to her yesterday about her route into it, and how did she, and why was she drawn towards computers? And for, for my two, I, I know they're only nine years old, that, that's, that, that I think that, that's why university stuck in my head, is, is it... One of them's creative and the other one isn't, but more tech-based. Yeah, so that's probably why I've thought in um, university there. Yeah, your girls are going to love it that you called one of them not creative. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, she can't do a cartwheel. She's <laughs> terrible at cartwheels. Uh, and that's important in life, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, interpreting. Oof, first thing comes in, interpreting. You know something? My first thought there when you said interpreting wasn't sign language interpreting. It was actually booths and spoken uh-huh. language interpreting, bizarrely. Yeah, yeah. interesting. I, yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I don't know if it's because interpreting... You've f- always wanted a booth, is that? Oh, yeah. I, would, I, would have a, I would have a portable booth in a minute. You know, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think maybe because growing up with sign language, I don't really see it as interpreting. You know what I mean? I, I, it's For me, it's yeah. just a language. Whereas yeah. when you see interpreting, I, I just imagine... Spoken language interpreters and booths, and you know, yeah, and that's yeah. it. So that's that's maybe where that's come from. For me, it's it's a nice perspective from someone who grew up in a deaf family using both languages. Doesn't automatically connect that with interpreting. I like that. Next word is future. I think COVID and the pandemic has changed the future of interpreting. Mm. I think for, for me, I, that would be blended methods of interpreting using technology a different way. 
you know, I think, yeah. I think what I've learned over the last two years is that I wouldn't have learned, 100% yeah. wouldn't have learned if the mm-hmm. pandemic wasn't here. I would say most of my work now, 95% is a studio or a room. Yeah. I say, yeah. I say, I say studio. It was actually okay. just a bedroom. I'm not going to ask any more questions about that. Okay. <laughs> no, I would say definitely COVID has made interpreting viral. Yeah, no, I, okay. Okay. So your last question yeah. is if I were to ask your parents to describe you, what would they say? Or to describe your work, what would they say? Um, oh, dad, dad, if you ask my dad, he would, he would honestly mm-hmm. shrug his shoulders. Genuinely, he would just go, I don't know. Huh? Mm-hmm. All right. He's, he's all okay. right. Mum, mum, I think prior prior to the internet, prior to social media, I, I honestly wouldn't know. But because of social media, I, I know that she she's incredibly proud. If she sees me on on the TV or, you know, interpreting for something, she'll, she'll send a message. And I think friends of hers, now she, you've got to remember, she is in her late seventies and to to see her firstborn and don't get me wrong. um, When my sister qualifies and when she registers, she'll be incredibly proud of her as well. And and to see their their children making a career for themselves in her language, her, her culture is for her incredibly uplifting. But, I don't see it. I just see it as it's just a job and that's fine. But she can be quite embarrassing on social media in her, how she gushes and says, yes, I'm very proud of him. And it's like, oh, mom, don't, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think she she wouldn't say it really to my face, but she'll quite mm-hmm. happily tell everybody publicly. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even though she probably thinks she's just sending it to one or two friends. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know I'll, the feeling. Along, yeah. along, with a, along with a picture of me in a nappy or something, or a diaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a full nappy. Yeah. <laughs> I had so much fun doing this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me try to pick out a few major points out of this discussion. I think the first thing to realize is that the system of training interpreters is different throughout the world. And as Bruce said, everyone learns at different rates and in different ways. And I think that goes into how he teams as well. That perspective of making everyone comfortable, making his co-worker or his teammate as comfortable as possible so that it flows naturally in the work process. That same perspective connects to the natural flow of the conversation. The fact that he doesn't want people to take turns when speaking, but rather talking in their natural rhythm, it makes everyone comfortable. And then speaking of ethics, he wants to do what's right. And then he said, obviously, you know, do the least harm. He said that in such a way that he's connecting it to the codes of ethics that all of us have throughout the world where we are trying not to hurt the situation, the individuals, the outcomes by our wrong decision. But what's interesting is that he says, well, obviously, the do the least harm. He's not necessarily dismissing that as not important. He's saying it in such a way that this principle is a foundation for all interpreting situations, for all interpreters. But his approach is more of a moral approach rather than an ethical approach by saying he wants to do what's right. Morals do give us what's right and what's wrong. Many times the codes of ethics conflict with morally what we would do. 
And I think that's something we need to consider more when we are thinking of codes of ethics. The last thing I'll leave you with is the perspective that Bruce had when I just used the word interpreting. His first thought was not sign language. And I think that's important because we need to remember that interpreting is not about the language or languages. The individuals are not giving us language. They're giving us ideas, concepts that are inside their minds from their worldview. So that's it for now. Please subscribe, share. I'll see you next time. And until then, please go out and do the best that you can wherever you are.